chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, Malachi chapter 3, if you find the book of Matthew, just kind of take a, a left and you'll find it's the last book in the Old Testament. Or maybe you've got your Bible app and you can look it up and go to, uh, I think, events in there and you'll see and find our notes in there. Malachi chapter 3. Um, so I grew up in the deep south in Mississippi. Uh, anybody else? Mississippi? Yes, there you go. So most of you are not from the deep south. But uh, uh, so in Mississippi, um, football is everything. And I've lived in a, a few different states in my life. Grew up in Mississippi for a long time. Moved to North Carolina for about three years. And then I've been here in South Carolina for about 13 years. And though I've seen like football rivalries and things like that other places, and we certainly have those here in like college football, uh, I've never seen rivalries in football like I saw in Mississippi growing up, and specifically in high school football. And if you grew up in the Deep South, then you probably have a little bit of an idea of what I'm talking about when I talk about this high school football. But in Mississippi, high school football was like another religion. Like on Sunday morning, you went to church, but on Friday night, you went to the game. And like the whole town was there. It was this huge thing that happened. I think between birth and age 18, when I moved out to go to college, I don't think I honestly ever missed a Friday night football game. It was just this thing that you always did. And I grew up in this town called Pearl, which is right outside Jackson, Mississippi. And next to Pearl is another suburb called Brandon. And Pearl and Brandon have this huge high school football rivalry. Um, there have been books written about it. Um, we, uh, we had these slogans for Brandon where we'd be like, eat dirt, Brandon, eat dirt. Um, and then like, I even had friends who like would go to Brandon and in Brandon, they're like about to run out of gas and they would just run out of gas rather than go to a gas station in Brandon and spend money, if that makes sense. And so intense, really big football rivalries that are going on. We had this like safe space though. And that safe space for me was my church. And so I went to this church called Park Place Baptist Church, and it was literally sitting on the Pearl and Brandon city line. And so because of that, the youth group that I went to, half of the kids were from Pearl and half of the kids were from Brandon. And we had one rule um, for youth group, and that was that you never talked about football. You just didn't do it. Uh, if we were going to be civil and love each other and care for each other well, then we could never talk about football. And it got really awkward specifically on two days of the year. And that was the Wednesday night before the Friday night football game where Pearl played Brandon. And then the Sunday morning after the big football game happened. The Wednesday night before, everybody's like acting like they love each other and care for each other. But there's like a whole lot of fake in the room because our friends are like out spray painting graffiti on each other's stuff and stealing mascots while we're there pretending like we love each other. And then the Sunday morning after, even if the losing team showed up at all, like you just didn't talk. Like nobody said anything. It was intensely quiet because nobody wanted to offend anyone at all. And we never talked about it. It's just not something that we did. We knew that we had this huge div division between us. It was causing tension, but we never talked about it because we didn't know how to. We didn't know what to say. And I feel like we have a lot of these kinds of areas in life, these areas where it's just not polite for us to bring things up and talk about them. And you've probably heard the old thing about how uh, if you have good manners, like when you're sitting down at dinner, you never talk about religion and politics, right? So we've kind of created these topics or these things that we don't have discussions about. I know 
for me, going home and, and having Thanksgiving dinner with my family, there are certain things you just don't talk about. Tears have been shed. People have left the room crying. Like, it's just not a good thing. And so you avoid talking about certain things. But I'm not really sure that in the long run that that's been really helpful for us. Because I think that we've lost a little bit of the ability uh, to know how to speak through complicated and difficult subjects with each other. We've lost the ability to listen with grace. We've lost the ability to have conversations with people that we disagree with uh, politically about politics. And then social media entered the world. And like all of those things that we've like kept inside for years and years and years, we found this space where we can just blurt it all out and put it on the internet. And so anyone who disagrees with us unfollows us, and they may even be the same person that we sit down at Thanksgiving with, but we don't follow them on social media just because of all of that. And we have lost our ability to talk about certain things with each other. And sadly, I think this whole topic of money, specifically when it talks about the church, has become one of those topics. And a lot of you, when you heard that we're doing a giving series here at Church of Cane Bay. Like, it just caused this kind of knee-jerk reaction, or you felt this shiver go down your spine. They're going to ask me for money. It's going to be this terrible thing. And we just react that way, and we feel like we can't talk about this stuff. It's not polite. It's not right. Why? Why, why is the church always talking about money? Why is this church always talking about money? And the answer is because Jesus always talked about money. And if we're going to be faithful to follow Jesus, then we have to talk about the things that Jesus talked about and care about the things that Jesus cared about. Did you know that in the Bible, there are about 500 verses that deal with prayer, about 500 verses that, that deal with faith. And when it comes to the topic of money, there are over 2,000 verses in Scripture about money. God cares about how we handle our money. Jesus' parables, the primary way that that he spoke and that he taught to his people. Almost 40% of Jesus' parables are about money. This is important. We can't treat it like a dinner conversation that we avoid, but we as a body of Christ in church who get together not just once a year, but once a week or multiple times a week, have to be willing to talk about the things that Jesus cared about. We have to be willing to push past these social boundaries that we've set up. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That where we invest ourselves, where we invest our resources, where we invest our money, that shows us where our heart is. And ultimately, the heart is the thing that Jesus cares about. More than what's in our pockets, more than what's in our wallets, more than what's in our bank accounts, Jesus cares about our heart. See, guys, how we handle our finances is less about our pocketbooks, and it's more about our hearts, more about our obedience. And because of that, it's urgent, and it's important, and it matters, and we need to talk about it. So today we're going to talk about it, and we're going to be in the book of Malachi. So just to give you a little information, like I said a second ago, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, and the people of Israel are in kind of a really dark place in Malachi. They're going through a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of opposition from the outside of the nation of Israel coming in and taking and stealing and attacking. And there's this great pestilence that's kind of hit the country. And on top of that, they're experiencing this huge drought. And so most of them are are farmers, and they, they make a living by growing goods and selling them 
And they're not able to do that because of the pests and because of the drought. And so Israel's in a really dark place, and they, they're kind of at a point where they don't know what to do. And in the midst of all of this, God sends the prophet Malachi to talk to them, which is where we're going to be. So Malachi chapter 3, there's really three truths that I think that we're going to see in this passage in Malachi 3. And we're going to start reading in verse 6. The first truth is that God is faithful and generous. Let's look at verse 6. God says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? So God's being really clear here that he doesn't change. He's been faithful. He's always been there, that he has the same goals and the same purposes uh, that he has always had. And because of the fact that God has been faithful to his people, his people have not been consumed and they have not been destroyed, that his faithfulness has carried them through. And then we find out in verse 7 that their reaction to God's faithfulness has been the complete opposite that they've turned away from him and turned away from the things that he has told them to do. My family's seen uh, God's faithfulness just in a real way. A lot of you know about our adoption story, and you've met our two girls. But uh, Emily and I, my wife, decided back in 2011 that we were going to, that God was calling us to adopt out of foster care. And something that we felt really strongly as a family. And so we started down this journey and I remember when it was, because we were in core team for Church of Cane Bay before we actually launched out. And, and we started this journey, and, and it was a long one, but we did everything that we needed to do. We, we went to the training classes. We uh, experienced all the, like, inspections that they do on your home, fire, and all this different kind of stuff. We, like, hung the fire extinguisher up on the wall in your kitchen, because you have to have one there, and you have to leave it there um, forever. We... We uh, had these like crazy background check where someone comes to your house like four times and walks through this big interview process with you to make sure that you're ready. And at the end of all of that, we entered into this period of waiting. And some point a little later, we had a placement that didn't work out and it was hard and it was difficult. And we were asking God why, what's going on and experiencing pain through that. But in the middle of that, what we felt, still felt was God was saying, you need to press forward. You need to keep going. This is what I'm calling you to do. And so we did. And we felt like God was still calling us to adopt from foster care. So a little later, we were given a new case. We were chosen as adoptive parents of a brother and sister. And right when we were about to get the kids to come into our home, everything came to a halt. Lawyers got involved and things got really messy. And everything slowed down and began to drag out. But even in the middle of that, we, we saw God's faithfulness and realized that God was with us um, through people who, who knew the kids and were involved, that were a part of our life, and God providing finances. It was an expensive deal. We were paying for an attorney and ended up spending thousands, thousands of dollars to walk through a couple of years and, and, and pursue what we really felt like God was calling us to do in this. And we had a lot of ups and downs. It was a roller coaster. And so a lot of nights where uh, we were just in tears over what was happening. But even in the middle of all of that, we still really felt like God was with us. He was walking with us and that we were doing what he was asking us to do. Then we got to the point where all we needed was one signature and everything was going to be handled and taken care of. And when we needed that one signature, it fell through and everything shut down. There was no way that we were going to be able to adopt these kids. 
When you invest yourself emotionally in something over the course of years and you pray and beg and ask God and believe that He's in it, it's heartbreaking. We wept and we questioned and we said, God, if, if you're in this, if you wanted us to do this, then why are we at this point? What's happening? Like, why? Why? Why would you bring us here? In the midst of all of our pain, God stepped in and He gave. And where everything had been hard before, we got a phone call and said, we have these two beautiful girls who are sisters. We think you'd be perfect for them. And it was quick. And it didn't cost us anything. There was no pain. All that there was was joy. And God proved his faithfulness in the midst of a difficult situation. And so I know for myself that God is faithful and that God is generous when we step in and are willing to give and respond in a way that, that he's called us to. We know from 2 Timothy 2.13 that it's his character to be faithful. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It's who he is to be faithful. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. In God's faithfulness, he is generous to his people. He provides us with everything richly to enjoy. And ultimately, God is most generous to us by giving us his son, Jesus. John 3.16, you guys know probably, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved us so much that he gave his son. So God is faithful. God is generous. Then we see uh, through this story in Malachi that we aren't, in fact, number two, we are selfish. Let's look at verse eight and nine. It says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And so God's bringing this huge charge to his people. And he's saying, guys, you're robbing me. You're robbing God. And that's a huge, a huge thing that God is putting on his people that he's accusing us of. It's, it's heavy at this point. And, and in the midst of this, like, God's bringing this accusation. And, and they're like, well, how are we robbing you? What's, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what's going on? How are we doing this? And the people of Israel are or like little kids who aren't taking responsibility for what they've done. If you're a parent, maybe you've had the situation where you have one kid come to you and they're like, so my sister just wrote all over the wall with a black ink pen. And then the sister comes up and she's like holding her hands out and they're covered in black ink. And, and you're like, did you write on the wall with a pen? And she's like, I didn't. That's recent for me, so I remember that. Like, kids take no responsibility for their actions. And when God brings an accusation to his people here, they're just like that. And they're like, what have we done? God, what have we done? And God says, you have been robbing me with your tithes and your contributions. When you don't give to me, you're robbing from me. And in verse 9, there's a result of that. And it's a curse. It's a curse that's come down on the people of Israel. Listen, they're not in poverty, they're not in drought, they're not in pestilence, they're not in battles and in war because of some external thing. No, it's because they're cursed, because they're not giving to God. 
And so they end up in this terrible situation because of their selfishness where they're not able. And they find themselves lost and hopeless because they haven't given to God as they're supposed to. Listen, I don't think I have to illustrate to you guys the fact that like, we're selfish people. I think we know that about ourselves. I think we've experienced that enough. But have we experienced and, and have we felt like that, that in our selfishness a little bit, that maybe there's not a result to that for our lives? That maybe we're not experiencing hardship because we haven't been faithful to give to God the way that we're supposed to. People of Israel certainly saw it. I don't know what it might be in your life. Maybe it's death that's causing pressure in your family or your marriage or whatever it may be. Maybe some of us need to just ask the Spirit, are there areas in my life that are suffering because I'm not being obedient and giving an obedience to God in the way that I need to? Number three, the third truth we need to see is that God wants you to test Him. Here's the hope. Let's look at verse 10. God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. And God is saying, just test me. He starts off saying, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. We're going to talk about that word and what it means in a little bit. But notice that he doesn't say, give me your money. It's not what he's saying. And they can't give to God because ultimately what they have isn't theirs to begin with. What they have is what God has blessed them with. If we really believe that the blessings and the things that we have in our life are from God and that they are God's and that we are just stewards of them, then we can't give to God. But we can bring to God what he's given to us, which is why God is telling his people, bring in um, the tithes into the storehouse. And he dares them to test him. That phrase where he promises to open up the windows of heaven and pour down blessing until there is no need, Think about that. The windows of heaven, the goodness and the hope that we yearn for and hope for, God is saying, I will open those things and pour blessings down in your life until you don't have to worry about being taken care of. You don't have to worry about that bill. I'm going to be blessing into your life. That's huge. And we're not a church that believes in the prosperity gospel by any stretch of the imagination. But this is Biblical truth that God is speaking to his people. And he says, test me and see if I won't bless you in a real way. And notice, God's not promising them that they'll be rich. He's not promising them that he'll give them more than they need. But he does say that he will richly provide for all of their needs. That their needs will be taken care of. And all that we need is our needs. And then we can rely on the goodness of our Savior. So God's asking us to test him. He's saying that we need to test him. So for us today, we need to take a step to test God. Now, I know a lot of us are probably, we're going to kind of look at some different steps. A lot of us fall into this category where maybe we're not giving anything to to the Lord. 
And then our first step is that we just begin to give, and we take a small step to say, you know what, I'm going to give, God. I can't give a lot. I don't feel like I can give a lot at this point, but I'm going to give something because I want to be faithful, I want to be obedient, and I want to do what you're calling me to do. A lot of us, in that first step of giving, are saying, I I don't even know if I can do that. Like, I can't give. Like, you haven't seen the, the financial pressure my family is under. You don't know the debt that we have. You don't... You don't understand, God, like how I'm going to be able to do this because there's no way I can carry these things out and accomplish these things. Like if you see my finances, they're a mess. I've got all this debt and I don't know what to do. God, surely you don't expect me to give in the midst of these difficult circumstances. Think about Israel and put yourself in their place. You're a farmer in the Old Testament. People and nation of Israel during the time of Malachi, and, and the way that you provide for your family is you grow crops, you sell crops, you make money. The way that you feed your family is that you grow crops and you feed your family with those crops. Yet there are all these pests that are coming and uh, making that difficult. There's a great drought where there's no water, and so your crops are growing at all, so you have no way to earn money, you have no way to feed your family. You have no way to take care of them. And then you've got this pressure of what you do have. People from the outside are coming in and taking it and stealing it and breaking it and tearing it apart. And the people of Israel are looking to God and they're saying, God, in the middle of this, do you really expect us to give to you? And what does God say? He says, test me. I don't know about you, but I've never been in that situation before. Things have never been that bad. I've always had enough food in my pantry to like feed my family for a month. And where I am, God is looking at me and he is saying, test me. That surely we need to be responsible. Like our kids have to go to college and we've got to save up for our retirement. Like, isn't that important to God? Yes. But God is saying, test me. Maybe you're a student. You just got your first job and you're earning money so that you can get a car and drive and pay for gas and pay for the insurance. Like, I remember what that's like. Surely, like, isn't this something that's for adults? And God's saying, test me. Test me and see what I can do with what you have to give in a real way. If you can't give, maybe it's an opportunity for us to look and see where our money is going to. See what we have been giving to And I really believe that looking at your budget can be a great spiritual exercise to see where your heart is. Think about what Jesus said earlier, where your treasure is, there's your heart. You look and see where you're spending your money. That'll tell you everything that you need to know about your heart. God is saying, where you are, test me. See what I can do in a real way. You've probably heard the statement before. You can't can't afford not to give to God. That's like a really simplistic statement, but it's really a true statement. You can't afford not to give to God. Israel couldn't afford not to give to God. Again, they they weren't in the situation that they were in because the market crashed or because there was great inflation in the country. Like they were cursed. They were cursed by God because they weren't giving. And because they weren't giving to God, they had less. But God is giving them an opportunity to turn that curse and turn that difficulty into blessing if they just would be faithful and turn back to him. (coughs) 
Because God didn't want their money. He didn't want their crops. He didn't want anything that they could give to him. He already promised. He said, if you just give to me, I will open up the windows of heaven and give right back to you. God doesn't care about the money. He cares about the heart. He cares about the obedience. Listen, God doesn't care about what you can give to him financially or money. That's not what matters to him. I truly believe that if we're faithful to give to him, he's going to turn right back to blessing us and giving to us. But what God does care about is our heart and our obedience. And whether we are faithful to turn back to a faithful God and give back to him as he has given to us and blessed us. So if you are in that step of saying, I need to go from not giving anything to God to just take a step and give, I want to encourage you, do it this morning. Take an opportunity to give to God and see what he does with what you have to give. Some of us are in that place, and then we need to take a step to tithe. And I want to talk about this word and talk about everything that goes along with it. So in the Old Testament, there is this word that we see, tithe, and it literally means a tenth, um, which is why that's kind of what we go with today when we look at this idea. And so here we see in the book of Malachi that God is expecting his people to tithe, right? He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. This is an expectation that God has of his people. And what's fascinating about this whole like tithe thing in the Old Testament is it, it actually wasn't just 10%. There were multiple tithes. There was uh, a Levitical tithe, a festival tithe, and a charity tithe. And so when you added all of those things together, God's people in Israel were expected to actually bring 23% of their whatever they have every year and lay it before God and give it to him. 23% is what they were called to give to God. That's huge. It's almost a quarter of what they have. Now today, there's a lot of debate over this as it comes into the New Testament era. Like, does the New Testament tell us to tithe? What does Jesus have to say about it? Are we as Christians today supposed to be tithing? These are the questions that you hear so often, and they're, they're everywhere. Matthew 23, 23 is an area where Jesus mentions tithing. Here's what he says. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And so what he's saying to them is, listen, you guys have been coming and you've been tithing. You've been doing what you're supposed to do there. But as a part of doing that, you've neglected living justly and acting merciful to people who need you to give in other ways. And he says, now, I wanted you to tithe. Like, you need to be tithing, but in such a way where you're not neglecting these things as well. And so Jesus looks at the tithe, and he calls the people still to do that. Now, scholars today are all over the place on this when it comes to what we should be doing as Christians today. But for us, at Church Cane Bay, we don't necessarily believe that that's it. Like, that's the magic number that God says, you need to tithe. It's a 10%. Come at it. Bring it. Like, that's what you need to do. But what we do believe is that that, that 10% and that tithe, is, it's a good starting place to generosity. It's a good baseline for generosity. That if you want to be a generous giver, that's a good place for you to look at and say, that's a wonderful spot for me to start giving generously and taking a step to give in a little more of a generous way. 
So here's some statistics about uh, our culture today. So today, 37% of people who attend church in America don't give at all. They've never given a penny. They've never done anything. 37% of people. Of the 63% who um, do give, 3 to 5% of them tithe. So 3 to 5% of people in our culture today that give to church tithe at least 10% to church. The average church member in America today gives about 2.5% of their income back to God. 2.5%. Now compare that to Israel, 23%. We give about a tenth of what the people of Israel gave back then. I I am excited that last year here at Church of Cane Bay in 2018, that the average um, church uh, partner with us gave 3.7%. And so thank you guys. I mean, we're, we're pushing the trend up. Uh, And that's incredible, but I still believe that we have a ways to go in really learning what it means to be generous. I want us to dream a little bit this morning. Last year at Church Came Bay, we brought in about $400,000, and that's, I mean, it sounds like a lot of money, and it is a lot of money. But just imagine that if that number went from 3.7% to 10%, what we could do. We'd be talking about around $1.2 million. Here's some things that we could do with that. With $1.2 million coming in where we are now, we would be able every year to fund about four church plants completely. Salaries, startup costs, sound systems, trailer, you name it. Like we could give them everything that they need to get off the ground for a while and send them out to do ministry. I met with a guy on Friday who is looking potentially to come to this area and plant a church. And uh, we're starting a church planting residency program here that we're trying to kick off in the fall where guys who want to plant churches can come and learn what it means um, to be a church planner, learn how to do it, help them walk through all those steps. It's going to be kind of a two-year process from starting to actually launching a church. And so we're looking forward to having a lot of people walk through this process. And right now we're looking at one, possibly two Um, People who can come in and and walk through that process because that's where we are and and what we can afford. But um, imagine if we had those funds where we gave generously, like we wouldn't have to put a limit on that. We can invite people to come in and just be a part of it and learn. And we can plant more and more churches around our city. We have a new ministry uh, that's called Lift that reaches out to single parents and foster and adoptive families in our community. And if we were a church who, who really gave and gave generously and gave all that we had, Uh, We could start a resource closet that could care for those families and provide for them and give them things that they need as they're doing life and as they have needs pop up. We could provide date nights um, to families in that way. We could do trainings that help them and support them and encourage them where they are in a real way. We could do scholarships for college for their kids as they grow up and get ready to go off to school or even provide scholarships for families that that want to adopt um, to provide them the opportunity to do that. The schools in our community, we could train mentors and have them ready to go and engage students and love on students and help them where they are. And we have teachers in our schools who every year spend hundreds of dollars out of their own pocketbooks to buy things that they need for their classroom. We could do a supply fund for every teacher in our community that says we love you enough to make you not have to spend your own money to care for your kids. It would be huge and it would be a great expression of love to the people in our community. And internationally, missionaries, we'd be able to go to the missionaries that we have a relationship with and say, 
hey, I don't know what your needs are, but we want to meet them. I don't know what your dreams are, but we want to meet them in a real way. And yes, we could have really great coffee on Sunday mornings, which I know is what you guys are really excited about. The crazy thing about this is, guys, we've been given everything that we need to do that already. Like God's given us the resources that we need to be able to do those things. If we are just faithful to say, I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to believe God to do great things through what I have the chance and I have the opportunity to give to him in a real way. Our community can be changed and can look different. Moving into this facility has been a step of faith for us and it's stretched us. God's been faithful through it and he's definitely called us to it. But it's left us kind of unable to invest where we would really like to be investing. And that is out in our community, outside the walls of this building, expressing the hope of Jesus. And that shouldn't be a thought for a generous church. We shouldn't have to worry about that. We shouldn't have to consider that. So some of us this morning need to take a step from being a regular giver into this kind of baseline or starting place of being a really generous giver. And then step three, this, this kind of last step. Some of us have been giving. We have been tithing. We've seen God take those gifts and multiply them for the kingdom. But we can do more. We can sacrifice more. We can give more and expect more of God. Here's what's fascinating. 77% of people who hit that baseline, hit that starting place of giving 10%, of them actually end up giving somewhere between 11 and 20%. Here's why. They saw what God did with the 10 and said, I want to do more. I want to see God do more. I want to see the work of the gospel happen more and more. And if it wasn't true, if God didn't really bless and honor what we have to give to him and sacrifice to him, then those people wouldn't be giving more than 10%. They would say, hey, this is what they're asking of me. This is what I'm going to give, and I'm going to keep the rest for myself. But no, when we give, when we prove our hearts for God by giving, God does big things, and we grow in ourselves a desire to give more and sacrifice more and see God do more with what we have and what we have to give. We have a family in our church that was a part of our church who moved away for, for, uh, for work. And, and they've been gone for about three years now. They were missional community leaders. They really believed in the work, the mission of Church of Cane Bay. For the past, however it's long it's been since they left our church, they have continued to tithe to Church of Cane Bay on top of the tithe that they give to their local church where they are living. That's generosity. That's sacrifice. We have another family who, from the very beginning, they were outside givers. They believed in the mission of planting Church of Cane Bay. And they said, you know what? We're going to tithe to Church of Cane Bay even though we're not a part of it, even though we live far away. And so they began to tithe. To this day, they still do that on top of the gift and the tithe that they give to their local church back home. We have two people that we've sent out as missionaries from our church, and you guys know them, out serving on the mission field who still faithfully give and tithe here at Church of Cane Bay because they believe that God does big things when we have a heart of generosity 
and faithfulness back to Him. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7. says, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. As God's calling us to be generous, he's calling us to give. Why? He doesn't want our money. He wants our heart. He doesn't want givers. He wants cheerful givers. He wants people who aren't giving because they feel like they have to, but people who are giving because they want to. So God does more in giving than just emptying our pocketbooks. He activates our hearts. He changes us. He makes us look more like Jesus. And we have the opportunity to grow to look more like Jesus. Jesus, who is the most biggest picture of generosity that we've seen in history, who is willing to give and give and give and give and give until it even cost him his life. And we have an opportunity to just give a small picture of what that looks like, what that kind of sacrifice looks like. And our 10% doesn't compare to that, but it becomes something huge when God takes it and does something incredible with it. See, guys, giving isn't God's way of raising money. It's his way of raising us to look like Jesus. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. Is a people who love him and are willing to give and sacrifice everything for the sake of his glory and his gospel and his kingdom. So we have a chance today to say, God, I want to take a step. So I want to encourage you guys. We're going to move to a time of worship. The band's going to come up. And you have an opportunity to think and to pray about what you want to do. And I just want to encourage you, as Scripture says, I don't want you to give this morning because you feel like you have to, because this is like a giving series. I want you to give out of guilt. We want you to give out of faithfulness and love for who God is. So I want you to take some time and pray by yourself or with your spouse and say, God, do, do we need to take a step? We need to take a step of giving to give more, to believe that you can do more, that you want to do more if we can faithfully and follow through. Know this, if you're at the point of step one and you're not giving anything at all, we don't expect you to jump all the way to the end. Just take a simple step. Test God. Believe God. Believe that he wants to do something. Test him and see what he can do, what you have to give. If you feel like, I, I just can't do it. Like, there's just no possible way. Earlier, Charlie talked about Financial Peace University. I would encourage you to plug into that. Get involved in it. Allow God to free you up financially so that you're able to give a little more. I don't know our lobby back there. You've probably seen them before. We've got five icons on the wall. Those are our guiding values as a church. One of those stands for generosity. We adopted that as a guiding value, not because we believe that we were there, but because we believe that's where God wanted us to be. And it's out there. Every time I walk by it as a reminder to me that God is calling us to be faithfully generous as he has been to us. And so it's an inspiration and it's a goal for us as a church to say, God, you've given so much to us and we want to give back to you. 
that we as a church are able to give our resources and our time. We're able to give the good news of Jesus in a generous way. And I pray that we can take a step to be faithful and to follow through in the generosity that God has called us to be. Let's pray. God, you are good. You are faithful. You are good to us. God, we desire to respond in worship, in recognition of the goodness that you've given to us to say, Lord, we just want to give back. God, I pray that we as your people would have hearts that are motivated by love, that have hearts that are motivated by faithfulness, that would have hearts that are motivated by obedience. God, to say whatever you ask of us, we want to do. Whatever you promise us, we believe. God, give us heart generosity. And we want to see our community change. We want to see this body do incredible things for the sake of your name. Give us a part of it.